1: Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is opening day. It is Thursday, April seventh. Derek Van Riper here with the King of Waffles, Eno Seris, Eno continuing his vacation slash opening week, which is just I feel bad for you because I feel like you you can't fully enjoy both of those things simultaneously. You can partially enjoy both things and that's better than not enjoying them at all. But uh <laughs> Thanks for powering through this week.
2: No, it's uh it's it's a crazy week. It's uh <laughs> it's it's not to be not recommended.
1: <laughs> not to be but, repeated uh, much like the the fab situation in labor where oh we had a player you know, players that, that was signed crazy after the auction night. chaos.
2: Total yeah, chaos. Yeah, that was that was absolutely crazy. So just the background real quick cuz I think it's it's kind of interesting. I, nobody cares about your fantasy league, I know, but uh, all those free agents, we took the top 10 free agents out of the pool before we drafted. And then when we, when we, uh, so when we came back, when those, all those players had signed, we had to figure out how to draft them in the NL. They had like a little mock auction and there was a bunch of uh, players that, you know, you guys had more, the NL had more. So there was like nine players. You guys auction off the AL couldn't get it together. And so, all of the free agents went into the first fab pool, which also includes all the guys who were traded into the league. So it was like Sonny Gray was on there, but also Carlos Correa and Anthony Rizzo. and like So just a, an amazing FAB run. And my thinking was in the NL, there were almost 12 guys. So there was like, you know, every team was going to get someone. So there was like more of a balance between not spending all your money and making sure you got somebody you wanted. Um, who did you end up with?
1: You ended up I, with. I got Luke Voigt. And the way I had to do it, I didn't get a player in the first run of the first nine free agents. So I was one of three teams that had all of my money left. And I went big on Matt Olson. didn't get him, got outbid, got Voigt as my second bid. But then I cleaned up on all my other lists. I did really well with the next group. So I got Diego Castillo in Pittsburgh, who I'm really excited about. I think he's going to be mixed league relevant. So if he's out there in your league after this weekend, when Sunday Fab Matt... runs, he's getting scooped up.
2: Not in the opening day lineup, but I believe that's just because there's a lefty on the mound.
1: I don't know that he will be a platoon player all year. I don't think that's going to be the case. Hopefully, for my sake, he plays a (laughs) lot. Uh, Tyler Anderson, cheap. And then uh, another infielder, Hanser Alberto in an NL only league. I'll I'll take that. If the Dodgers see something in him and they want him to move around and play in the infield and just make contact, good things can happen for him. So I went with like, one mid-range guy and a bunch of fillers. And now I'm second position from the hammer for the rest of the season when the entire league's budgets are down. And I think what mm-hmm. we're going to see, we saw a trade Thursday morning between the Padres and Twins. I think we're going to see a lot of movement in the first half of the season. We're going to see more trades than usual. filtering through the
2: offseason. Like we, yeah. we took 90 days off in the middle of the offseason. There's definitely still some offseason. That's why we're having an opening day trade. Mm -hmm. The Twins. But just to finish off the story, like I panicked so many times. I was just staring at this list that has Correa, Story, Rizzo, Pollock, uh, Sonny Gray on it. And I want to make sure I get one because to get one of those players in AL is a huge advantage because there's only about six of them. So only half the teams are going to get a real player and everybody else is going to get I mean, sorry, Hans or Albertos. <laughs> I it's fine because you got Luke Boyd. You got Luke Boyd. So I, I kept like moving around my my bids. At some point, I had $82 on Trevor Story. I panicked, thought that was too much, moved around <laughs> to 76 Story goes for 87 in the end um, to to Larry Schechter, uh, meaning that they have basically 13 moves for the rest of the season, $13 one-dollar moves for the rest of the season. Um, and... Then I panicked late and thought that my my short ones, my other ones, Pollock, I really wanted Pollock. I thought that I might not get him at, at 53. So I moved him up to 61 and sixty, and Rizzo to 66. Won Rizzo for 66 and realized I would have won Pollock for 53. However, I don't have that many regrets because I got one of the six players. You know, I am one of the people that got them. And I have $26 left. I also got the Swallow Moves Like You, Christian Pache. Uh, is going to play every day, uh, I think, in center field for, for uh, Oakland. There's a chance that he goes back down when Ramon Lariano is back, but I kind of doubt it. I think this, this is the kind of team where he just plays. Um, and uh, but also Jorge Lopez and Dylan Tate, which uh, I have now spent seven combined dollars on Jorge Lopez, Dylan Tate, Tyler Wells, and Tanner Scott. Four <laughs> relievers in Baltimore for $7. Watch me miss out on the closer.
1: <laughs> I think it's great Wells that You is get two a starter now.
2: now. <laughs> Wells is a starter now. Scott's in, in Miami. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. But in any case, I got my guy, but it was gut-wrenching the whole way through. And uh in the end, just uh, some amazing amounts of money have been spent. And in the AL, there's some teams that have 15 moves left and 12 moves left so it's going to be an interesting season.
1: I've had pretty good success in mono leagues finding talent in season that wasn't, you know, the big hitter that came over or the big pitcher that came over and I I didn't want to completely push myself out on five or six significant upgrades plus bottom of the roster fillers by going too aggressively after Matt Olson was the best player left, as I mentioned before. So we'll see if my strategy was right. I, I think, as I told you yesterday, I, I predicted how it was going to play out. I just don't know if I played it correctly, which is not necessarily <laughs> the place you want. Like, oh, good, I knew it was going to happen, but I don't know if knowing what I thought was going to happen, if I did it right. That's the problem uh, that I ran into.
2: One thing that occurred to me uh, in this pro- in this situation was the fact that I had Andy Ibanez and Kevin Stephen Kwan on my uh, bench actually made a lot of this possible because I feel like I won't necessarily need to go to the waiver wire for depth in terms of filling in for someone hurt. You know, I've got two real players on my bench and Josh Naylor's on that bench too. So I've got some depth that meant to me, I had to go for one of the big names. I just wasn't actually as interested. Like even if Pache doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. I've got other outfielders coming back. So... Um, You know the you've got it up on the on the YouTube screen. The Twins Padres swap also pretty interesting for an opening day uh, an opening day trade like this. Super late, I think it makes sense for both teams. I mean, the Padres kind of needed a closer. We've been talking about the Padres closer situation, and we've been we'd said it was hard to read and there wasn't really an obvious contender. Um, And now there is an obvious closer there. And I think that's makes the whole rest of the bullpen better. They needed uh, a little bit of pop in the outfield. Rooker and Beatty become like a kind of platoon fourth outfielder, righty lefty. So that works for them. Um, And then, you know, over in Minnesota, they needed more starting pitching and they love team control. You know, so they, if they can fix the the ride on on Paddock's fastball, get him back to where it used to be, uh, then the guy always had a really good changeup. And by now, the curveball has become close to an average pitch.
1: Yeah. Full deal. Chris Paddock plus Emilio Pagan going to Minnesota. Taylor Rogers, Brent Rooker, two for two swap going back to San Diego. I think it's interesting because Paddock seems to fit a model for the Twins where it's not necessarily about stuff, it's about command, or the way they look at stuff is different than the way that your pitching model looks at stuff, and I'm very curious to know if this this combination of pitchers that they've stacked up, which includes Joe Ryan, who they acquired last year, and Bailey Ober, who they drafted and developed, and now Paddock, who they've added, and Dylan Bundy, maybe, as more of a bounce-back guy that they got in free agency, how successful are they going to be going down this path? How many of those starters are going to hit for them, I think, is Really kind of a key question, but we talked about this on the 3-0 show. I'm in on the Twins. I love what they've done to retool this roster. I know they're going to miss Rodgers a little bit, but Pagan gives them maybe more innings in the back end of the bullpen, and they want to mix and match anyway. There was a really strange thing that happened with Taylor Rogers in the last maybe 10 to 14 days of draft season where he was one of those most previously cheap relievers that started catching a lot of helium. And if you missed out on the top end guys who were pushing $20 in most auction formats, Rogers would come up and he'd go for like 15 and that just became normal. And he was creeping up in ADP, probably more into like the 100 to 150 range where he was previously going fringy on the top 200. And it struck me as odd because we talked about him and i like his skills. I've always liked Rogers skills. I just didn't have as much confidence apparently as the field that he was truly the closer, yeah, even though securely. he missed time with injury last year, Rocco Beldelli. He's, he's cut from the raised cloth. I think he was showing us, even when Rodgers was healthy last year, that mixing and matching to close out games is something he's comfortable to do. Maybe now with fewer options there, we can look at Jorge Alcala and, and Tyler Duffy and say those two guys maybe share evenly or near evenly, and maybe that should get us excited if one or both of those guys are still out there on the waiver wire in some leagues.
2: Yes, I believe it's Jorge Alcala, but uh, I just did have to... Look that up real quick. <laughs> I haven't know that. I don't know that I've heard the word spoken. It's one of these weird things when you live on the internet. Um, I yeah. The question is like, how much do we want to throw down on on Alcala, right? Yeah, I have
1: got him stashed in a couple of places already, just for the,
2: for did, the uncertainty. Did, yeah, did I did uh, point him out as one of the best non closers that could close? Um, they've got. Oh, oh, man. Here's
1: another one. Is it Juan Duran? Oh, I haven't heard anyone say that one on a broadcast either. And the good news is, by the way, not that anyone really cares about this, the pronunciation guide came out. And, That's right. and Luis Robert is still listed as Luis Robert. And I am adamant that one day after an MVP <laughs> award or something, it's going to come back around and I will be vindicated. But until the pronunciation guide changes... I will yeah, stick to the pronunciation the guide. All I right. will. I will. I will end it now. I will stop it's fighting this tooth and nail. Johan Duran.
2: Johan Duran. So Johan Duran had the best stuff plus in the spring, other than Penn Murphy, who had fewer pitches and is a side armor and is ridiculous, and you should watch out for him. But uh, Duran had a really good spring. I don't know that he's going to get a lot of s- saves though. Like I feel like he will be the guy that gets the big outs in the eighth. And Alcala and Duffy will get and Pagan will get some saves. What is it a sort of 15 10, 5 situation?
1: Do you want to give one of them 20 saves? You could. I mean, it, it, this is the hardest thing about a committee is you just don't know how how many pieces there are going to be of the pie like if, if if the saves are a giant pizza is the manager cutting it into little squares is he cutting it into big triangles how is it going to work is he cutting the pizza like me like very lazily and just like cutting it in half <laughs> and then folding each piece like that's sometimes that's all you got to do just one cut down the middle and done you, you've got two pieces of pizza and that's all you need
2: well i was excited about him to begin so i'm going to say jorge alcala is worth a significant bid. I mean, if you're in the same situation where I am, where you have no no FAB, like it's kind of hard to be like, yeah, go through $10 out of your 26 you have left on this guy. Uh, but, you know, 10% of your overall bid, 15% of your overall bid might be worth it. You could get a closer all year. That's That's the thing about being aggressive early is that, you know, I now have Anthony Rizzo all year. I could have kept the hammer for the trade deadline and gotten Anthony Rizzo at the trade deadline for $60. You know, so it's like, no, I'd rather have the player all year. So I do think this uh, is a big opportunity for him. And um, you know, Pagan is good, but he, you know, he, he gives up so many homers, you know, I mean, this is, it's kind of amazing. He's never had a season uh, since his rookie season. He hasn't had a season below a 1.5 home runs per nine. It's just part of what he does. And I think that's a really tough thing to, to go throw a, a closer out there with a one-run lead that gives up homers.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a concern. I, I think it's a committee. I think that's the safe thing to say, how the committee works. Maybe we learn a little bit about them in their opening series. Maybe we see oh, two different relievers picked up saves this weekend. That, that keeps bids somewhat in check for both of the possible closers involved. Are you comfortable... With Rogers going the other way, saying Rogers is the guy in San Diego. Did he just go from a committee team to a non-committee team, where they leaned heavily on Mark Melanson last year, and did he just take all of the shares of the assorted Padres relievers we've all been stashing and just render them worthless in in one fell swoop? Yes, <laughs> yes. So I believe he's the closer. Up, if you pay it up for Taylor Rogers, then. You did really well. Like, this is a great trade for you because you might have been buying into some uncertainty and overpaying previously, and now you might have got him exactly where he should have gone, if not for a little less than he would have gone had we known he was the guy.
2: There's also another winner in this, and it's not as obvious, but it has to do with one of our favorite games here. Let's build a bench. (laughs) It's really... Just a scintillating game where we look at the bottom of every roster and try to build a bench. <laughs> now, if you're building a bench for the Padres, <laughs> sorry, I've been at Disneyland all week. It's like you're <sighs> in the toilet taking a poo, and it's like, and it's like, is it everywhere? You open your thing up. We were staying at the Grand California. If you open your window up at 7 a.m., it's open till midnight. And if you open your window up at 7 a.m., the music starts again. Let's build a bench. So on your bench, we have four players now with the NLDH. If you have four players on your on your bench, one has to be the backup catcher, Jorge Alfaro. Boom. They already sent Luis Campisano down. So we have three guys left. One has to be a backup shortstop. Now, with Haseon Kim and Jake Cronenworth on the same roster, you could say you have a backup shortstop. It's a little bit rough because you only have. There are only two actual bodies, but let's say backup shortstop, slightly covered. Backup center field. They don't have one. They don't have one, and I think I know who it is. CJ Abrams.
1: Maybe so. It could be because if you if you move Abrams to center field, then Kim plays short. Yeah, right. You have that. So that's probably the way they do it. I know. I saw a tweet. It might have been Dennis Lynn. Suggesting that Will Myers is the backup in center field, he played a little bit out there a few years ago.
2: Yes, I wouldn't do it, but uh, let's say Myers is your backup center fielder. You still have these three spots on your roster. You have some flexibility; it's decent. But so you have these three spots. So they they got Matt Beatty, and they got Brent Rooker in this trade. Right now, there's a righty, lefty that could be your platoon left fielder, and then Profar uh, is is a roamer. But that still leaves one spot on the roster. This is my point. There's one spot on the roster. It's open, and there's only one player that could sit on that in that spot that could play center field, could play second base, could play shortstop. I think C.J. Abrams is making this team. Yeah, it's maybe this is this is moot by the time we like put this podcast out
0: and they've they've actually announced it, but (laughs) we have to one. (laughs) Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone.
1: Okay, well I saw some late draft season helium <laughs> on full Abrams. display on Wednesday night. I did the, the, oh, the, the NPC auction. Yeah. Well yeah, Abrams was only like five dollars in the end game because people were out of money. But compared to you know Witt and Julio Rodriguez, who were well north of twenty dollars in this particular league, which had a two sixty budget, fifteen teams, Abrams felt like a bargain. And I, I think just as the case is with relief rolls I think there's this time that it makes all the sense in the world to buy in on a player. And CJ Abrams at 5 when his other rookies who are actually not that different in terms of talent, present or future talent, when those guys go for four times as much, Abrams is the clear answer of the player you'd want, all things, you know, being equal uh, dynamics and all those things. Like if you if you could control it, you'd say, "Oh, I'm going to wait and get Abrams later if I can." Why not? Because I get the ceiling, and I'm not paying sticker plus thirty percent to get there. I
2: mean, Julio Rodriguez. I took him in the main, in a main, and like a this is an NFBC eighteen hundred dollar entry. Like this is this is kind of a big deal league. I got him in the bench Thursday last two weeks week? ago. Two weeks, two ago. weeks ago. I think Thursday, yeah. two weeks ago. I got him for a bench spot. Now, what's his, what's his picks? He's going like 50th and 60th in drafts.
1: Way, way earlier. And I this, this, is not, this is not a hindsight is 2020. This is not a captain obvious sort of thing. I think the people that do really well in draft season are the people that are willing to take on the appropriate risk Before these fluctuations.
2: And also the appropriate time. It's like, yeah. So if you're taking Julio Rodriguez at 50 or 60 or whatever, like there are some really established players there that will give you, probably give you value. And you're taking a really big leap of faith that Julio Rodriguez will land on his feet and give you, you know, fourth round value right off the gate. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're taking him in the bench, you're just like, well, hopefully he's up in the next two weeks. You know, (laughs) like that's all you're asking for. You're taking him against, uh, very flawed, you know, kind of platoon guys at the end of the ga- at the end of the thing. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I was never going to get Bobby Witt, you know, early because his healing has been probably the highest out of all of them. He's been going in the fifth round for weeks. Uh, but, um, you know, I just, I like drafting. For, I call it the safety dance. You got to do the safety dance.
1: Do you like the song or the dance? Yeah, the song's okay. I'm not going to do the dance for the era. The song is okay. In the right. broader spectrum of music, <laughs> the song is not okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's where I, that's where I stand on it. But yeah, I, I was passing on wit because of where Julio used to go. Now I'm passing on Julio because of where CJ Abrams goes for these last few drafts. I just think that's the the right way to try and, and problem solve these players. It works in the closer pool too, though. I'd mentioned this with the Craig Kimbrell situation. I think we talked about it in the last episode you know, before that trade, when Kimbrel was stuck with the White Sox and you could get him after the 20th round, why wouldn't you take him? Because all it took was a trade for the value to skyrocket. Do I have any interest in him as the Dodgers closer right now? Sorry if you saw the air quotes on the video. I mean, <laughs> he's the closer for now. He could be the closer all season. He could be good all season. But he's just like the other guys that you have to overpay for now. So I'm out right now. And it's the Taylor Rogers thing too. Like I was taking my chances on Alcala because why... Why would I pay the extra price for Rodgers when we don't know what they're going to do? I'm going to keep taking the chances on the next player. Sometimes you have to overpay. These are times where you don't. These are times where you can get a pretty huge advantage. And I, thinking about this, like, okay, what can you do about it now? What I would do if I were in a league that had first-come, 1st first serve moves, or if I was drafting later on Thursday night or Friday, I'm still interested in Blake Trinan in the end game Because the Dodgers open in Colorado. And if you want to pour some gasoline on Craig Kimbrell as the closer, send him to Colorado. Have him blow a save or two this weekend. Curveballs talk-
2: don't break as well.
1: And talk to me on Sunday night about how much people are going to bid on, on Trinan in leagues where he happens to be available. Because there will be some leagues that are drafting, you know, the last seventy-two hours of draft season where he actually was passed on. Maybe more twelve teamers than fifteen teamers, but these are the windows you have, and you have to think what could go right. and that's how That's how pickups work when you're speculating on relievers in season as well. You're taking a look at guys that don't have the job yet, you're bidding cheap, and you're hoping that things, when they're rocky, get a little bit worse, and you end up holding on to that next reliever at a discounted price. It's a luxury you can only afford when you're very healthy and when you have a bench spot to do it. But it's the right way to try and, and catch a lot of value on the bottom of your roster.
2: Yeah, that's why I have some shares of Tyler Rogers because I think he's gonna be part of the committee in San Francisco and because I think his ratios will be great, and because what he allows me to do is stick Tyler Rogers in my, you know, in my opening day lineup without, you know, not being too worried about what blow ups or anything. You know, he's a real low ERA guy. And in the meantime, uses bench spot to try and get a like a real actual closer, you know. So that's what I've done in, a, in a more than a couple of leagues. Um, it's, it's, it's actually part of uh, why I, I did a most rostered players thing. And I've got uh, Madison Bumgarner as one of my top shares. And somebody said, why do you have Madison Bumgarner on my top shares? And, and I said, well, you know, there's some, there's some reasons. Like he, his stuff improved uh, late last season. He, he was up two ticks, uh, you know, in velocity this spring. It's not really that, though. It's this. I knew he was going to pitch at home opening day. I knew he was going to be a first-week starter. And he was available so cheap everywhere, innings, innings, and I knew when he was going to start. So what that allows me to do is put Madison Baumgarner in my starting rotation and have somebody that's not starting opening week like a Luis Patino or, you know, some longer term you know pitcher or O'Neal Cruz like in a weird way having Madison Bumgarner allows me to have O'Neal Cruz. You know what I mean? Because I can I have that bench spot that Madison Bumgarner slips into. Now if he if he poops the bed in his first you know in his first start and the stuff numbers don't look good then I I haven't risked anything. So that's why I have a ton of Madison Bumgarner. It's like one of my last pitchers where I'm like, well you'd be in their opening week and who knows after that?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting looking at my most rostered players, Luis Patino. Uh, not surprisingly, on six of my eight teams in. Yeah, Let me see if we formats. share that one. <laughs> I, I mean, price organization stuff He didn't get helium. He didn't because he didn't pitch that much this spring. Yeah, so I guess that adds a little bit of risk, but he doesn't pitch in this short partial period he pitches the beginning of next week so we don't get to see him until then but i think he's got baltimore's first time out so you know nice soft landing spot hopefully the workload at is home, enough right? we can get I a win yeah it yeah, should be home against baltimore too it's strange because the smattering of players i have a lot of there's some expensive players that i have a lot of i have mookie bets on five no, out of my too. eight teams oh, a ton man. Of
2: we're mind melding this is no good we what need to like foment some disagreement between each other
1: yeah, we do agree too much. The yeah, why? Why do you have so much bets?
2: Uh, I ended up drafting near the end of the first round in a few leagues. Okay, and I just really liked him at the turn. Like he's one of the better players at the turn.
1: Yeah, I, I think I had three drafts where I got him in two salary cap auction scenarios, and my he's just really good year. and doesn't cost like one of the top five guys. So my methodology this year, I I took. I took the NFBC values as we saw more and more auction data coming in. And I took the projections from ATC in the bat and I ran the projected values against what was happening. And I was looking for players that were, you know, undervalued or even just appropriately valued. Early, especially, there's extra tax you're paying on every player. Mm-hmm. And bets was the I think bets was the best hitter who was actually, Slightly undervalued with that oh, methodology, so mm-hmm. yeah. Just like a dollar below projection is where he was going, and like I, I believe he can still be a first round guy. So I, I had, I had no re- like I liked him even before I ran this for, for auction purposes. And once I ran it this way for auction purposes, it just became even easier for me to keep. Firing away on bets. So
2: I think my guy like that is Joe Musgrove because I had him ranked, you know, in the top 10 of pitchers. He wasn't, he was one of the, he's one of the very few of the top 10 of pitchers. He's the only guy in the top 10 of pitchers that didn't go in the first three rounds, Mm. you know, on average. So Musgrove, I ended up with, was it five shares? Five shares of Musgrove because he kept coming to me in the fourth and fifth. And if you don't take a pitcher in the first, you can take your second pitcher in the fourth and fifth.
1: Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to end up with late players that you keep throwing darts at, right? Brandon Nemo. Yeah, that's
2: Nimmo, the nice of Brandon Nemo. Like, yeah. You for me. Brandon
1: Nemo too? <laughs> four Nimos. I have four Jesus Sanchez teams. I've got four Kevin Smiths. I'm not surprised. But we probably both have a lot of Jose Kitty. I've got four Jose Urquidy's. His velo yeah, was up this spring, and as soon as I saw that note, I was like, yep, we're going to keep prioritizing Urquidy late because that extra velo. I think you mentioned Breaver this.
2: Reaver San Martin is kind of a, a guy I got a lot of shares of. That's It's a great share. Me.
1: Hey, I don't have a lot of Reaver I do have a lot of Cody Bellinger I got him again yesterday he was eight dollars in a room where we're wit and, and Julio we're going well north of 20. Cody Bellinger went for eight and I know he's he's a mess right now but just he the- was
2: we got so much uh ire for putting him in uh the player tiers in the top 125 really? I think uh, one of the things is uh, he has such a high floor because he plays center field defense. I mean, it's, you know, Miles Straw's in there. (laughs) Like, that's the bar he has to pass, you know, offensively. So uh, I think for player tiers, it made absolute sense. I think in fantasy, it's a little bit harder because he struck out like 40% of the time in the spring. Strikeout rates in spring have some signal to them. I understand why people are nervous. But I still stick with my idea that he's just trying to find his A swing, And, you know, he struck out like 16% of the time last year, right? I don't think he's just going to go from
1: 16 to 40 in one year. It seems unlikely. I think he was 16 in 2020. I think he jumped last year a little higher than that, right? 23 or something. 23, 26, something coming off the shoulder. But he's not doing 40. No. Come on. No. Look. I, I'm I'm glad I've got him on multiple teams. I'm glad I don't have him sitting up there with Patino where it's like six out of eight. I'd be a little more nervous. <laughs> <than> having, him. <laughs> having him on three teams makes me feel pretty good. Like If it doesn't work out, it's only three holes to, to solve. And it's an outfield situation. And I got him pretty much every time at a discount. I think only one time early in draft season, he was like a seventh rounder because people didn't think he was broken back then, which sounds insane now. Oh, seventh round? You took Cody Bellinger in the seventh round of a 15-team league? Yeah, it was it was December. What was I supposed to do? We didn't spring didn't happen yet. Uh, so yeah, so lots of players that I've I've taken uh, some multiple shots. I mean, Gavin Lux is on this list. Mike Mustakis, who I believe in as kind of a y low average big power guy in Cincinnati. I'm I'm here for his resurgence. Ryan Presley ended up being the pricey closer I was getting early in draft season. Then I got pushed out late, and then my my fascination with the pitchers that were horrible in a small sample last season. It knows no limit. I have Reed Detmers on three teams. I got Spencer Howard in my most nice. important league last night. I mean, I'm I'm going right at them. Like, you know what? Get a 70 RA <laughs> last year. I don't care. Do I still them love me. you. Send, send them over here. Let's go. My uh, Another
2: late name that I've got that uh, won't pitch this first weekend, and so he might be available in your Sunday Fab Run. Um, or your or your pickups after you want to drop your mess and bone garner share after the first day. Don't yell at me. I'm telling you, it's late. But uh, Nick Martinez, I think, is somebody that just doesn't, we haven't discussed enough. He went to Japan and he's now a 93 mile an hour guy instead of a 90 mile an hour guy. And he found a Vulcan change over there, like Kyle Loesch. Um, and uh, Kyle Loesch was, I think, an underrated pitcher that just pitches a tough park you know, and had a short career, but when he had the Vulcan change going and was throwing 93, Kyle Loesch was pretty usable some of those years. So I think Nick Martinez uh, could be Kyle loshian in like a better home park, uh, a little bit more. You that I think that name gives you a sense of like how you want to be careful. You'd not want to throw him against the Dodgers or, you know, uh, you know, rely on him out the gate, but he might be an interesting bench uh, pickup after this weekend. If,
1: you find yourself looking uh, to replace a starter. So I wanted to ask you, did you have anything that you learned this draft season or anything that you tried that you thought this worked well, or this didn't work well for me, it was trying to be more disciplined in the auction scenarios, making sure I wasn't just pure stars and scrubs, because I think I had, I left some value on the table in the past by being too aggressive. And last night, the way it played out, I went pocket aces. I got, I basically had five $33 players or under. I love that. Jeez. Which is, it's still stars and scrubsy, but it's not like when Trey Turner was, like 50 and the other early first rounders were all in well north of 40. Woodruff Bueller, has basically, they got this. like
2: four second rounders.
1: Yeah. I mean, Otani for 31. Betts, I think, was 33. Devers was 34. I might have five first rounders if, yeah, if I got yeah. it right. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I felt like that made sense in that room be, because of the way things were happening. Uh, but I, I, think the, the thing that I'm not trusting about my my approach this year is as I got away from the expensive closers. I don't know if I trust my ability to find cheap saves. I don't know if I can, if I can be a an actual member of the the dollar save club.
2: I'm there. That's where I live. And I don't know that I can say that it worked or not until the end of the season. So uh, one one mention that I didn't have uh, of a guy I have a ton of shares of is David Bednar. And that's because I ended up playing some games where I was like, I wanted Romano, and maybe I, I was like, oh, maybe Romano will make it around this turn so I can get Musgrove. That happened like twice. It's part of why I have Musgrove shares and not a ton of Romano shares. Um, in, and so the safety net for me ended up being players like Bednar, Kimbrell. Um, you know, I have a lot of Kimbrel as, as closer one. Um, and uh, so I ended up with Kimbrel, Bednar, Joe Barlow. Um, these are the these are my closers this year, and I know there's you know the note on Chris Stratton and stuff. But I'm not that scared. I I think Bednar is the better pitcher, and he'll he'll win out. Um, and I think pitching plus su- supposedly beats projections on relievers. So I'm using my model, and I'm trusting it. And uh, we'll see how it goes in the end. But uh, I don't. I did not take any uh, closers in the first. Five rounds, I don't think.
1: I mean, From I, I feel drafts. good about it in the sense that I like everything else I did, but I keep staring at Mark Melanson, Andrew Kittredge, and Art Warren and saying is to your, myself, your, your how many saves draft, do I closes. really have? Like yeah. my my, my, <laughs> the one where I put the most out there, the, the biggest investment I made this draft season, and I went with those three guys. Like That's, that's a test of, of the new strategy in a pretty big way.
2: And the other thing that I think uh, that I saw in your draft that makes me nervous as well is, you know, I saw like 85-90s projected steals, you Mm -hmm. know. And uh, benchmarks for that are around 120. However, the benchmarks are for like kind of being, you know, top third of the league. And there's plenty of ways to win leagues. And there's ways to win leagues by getting six to eight points in steals. And doing well everywhere else, and not taking any, any power zeros, and so ending up in the top three in homers, and the top three in RBIs, in the top three in runs, and the top three, you know, in, in all the offensive categories except for for steals, because steals are so expensive. And I've taken that strategy in a lot of leagues. Get my hand, my steals a handful at a time. Get to eighty. Get to ninety. Get to a hundred, um, and I feel good about it going in. But if all those guys end up on the lower end of their steals spectrum or the game itself steals more bases. And so then I end up with the worst steals in in my league. That'll be annoying to me. And that'll be, I may have to just join in and pay for steals, but saves and steals been forever. I used to write a column on Roto world called saves and steals. It's like these things that we chase uh, that are terrible (laughs) and are really hard and aren't, that incredibly important in the game, you know, like they're not the most important things that you would never build a major league team. And be like, okay, we're going to be all in on saves and steals.
1: I fear that even though I'm just trying not to succumb to the pressure of overpaying for those two things, that I am looking too much through a real life lens, too much WRC plus, too much Woba, mm-hmm. too much of the skills over roles when you need to have rolls over skills for saves in particular, but even steals to an extent. Like, Miles Straw, he has some flaws in his skill set. He's better than other speedsters we've seen. But above all, he has the role. He has the playing time. He's a good defender at a spot where they need a good defender. And I think I might have been wrong to completely pass on him this draft season. But that's the exciting part of this game, right? We get to find out. We get to learn. We get to see... Was I actually right to be a little bit different than the crowd, to be a little less aggressive with those particular categories?
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles.
1: I've got bold predictions. Uh, you've shared yours on the three O show last week, so I'll share well, mine I to tell today. You, that wasn't so bold. Yeah, you can you can just laugh at my bold predictions now, and then we'll let Brit share hers on the next three O show. So we'll each have our turn. Seems yeah. like a good way to go about this. One to five scale: one being not very bold, five being very bold and spicy. All of the I don't know, Frank's Red Hot, Cholula, whatever you whatever you think is is bold and spicy. It's, it's measured in bottles. Those are not actually that hot. I, I understand pepper. that. Yeah, there's there's like ghost pepper stuff. And then if you go to like a really good Thai restaurant and you ask for a ten out of ten, there, your your mouth might just like disintegrate. Like that that can actually happen. So, bold prediction number one: Nick Senzel will go twenty twenty mm. with a two seventy five plus average.
2: Mm, that's a spicy meatball. I will give you a four on that nice a four i feel good about that i think so i I think so because uh in the last three years he has played 59 games sweet plus uh (laughs) his barrel rates aren't that impressive so uh he's not projected anywhere to to kind of hit at that level of power so you're 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 banking on both power and health but I like it. I mean, I, I have some shares, and, and uh, he's certainly the type of player that the Reds need to, to to break out to be useful as a team.
1: I came to this with a 12-14, 12-14 steal season back in 2019. That was in 104 games, and I think I can look past the uninspiring barrel rate because the ballpark gives him some cheapies. So I think this, mm-hmm. is, this is mostly a health bet. I think when he's healthy, yeah. this is the type of profile that Nick Senzel has. All right. You're giving me a four on the first one. I feel like I'm off to a great start. This next one, this one is inspired by Walter McMichael. Um, He was talking about this during a a draft we were in earlier this week. He made a bet on this actually happening. And I'm I'm claiming this as a bold prediction that I agree with. So this is actually Walter. So if you judge this harshly, you're judging Walter. It's not very nice. Not me. (laughs) Miguel Sano will lead all MLB players in home runs this season. Ooh. Ooh, everybody, go he's going to beat to everybody pro- in homers. Projected he's on the first page, runs. he's on the first page with most of the projection systems, but he's like back at the top thirty in terms of where Why he's. Why is at. he
2: not for bad X? What am I missing? Playing time, or is playing he time the might be a tad that. light?
1: Slim down, Miguel Sano. Oh, there he is. Power. He's projected
2: for thirty-one homers, so he's tied to be in the top thirty. He's tied with Byron Buxton and Mitch Haniger. Uh, at 31 homers, uh, there are 28 players ahead of him in the projected homers list by the Bad X. Come on. That's got to be bold. 28 players ahead of him. I'm going to give that a four, too. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you. I like four. Four is a good place to aim, too, because five is like,
1: yeah, come on. Oh, I got a five. I got a five coming for you. Oh, Don't God. worry. I, I, I so did no, three and a bonus. I mean, the so bonus no, another. Is
2: the only problem is it. It's a, it actually shares a little bit uh, with your last one, which is a little bit of a
1: health play again. Hey, uh, that's the game I'm
2: playing right now. I'm betting on health. Snow so so no has 31 projected, but only in 561 plate appearances, 138 games. Uh, most of the players ahead of him on this list are projected for 140, 150. Plus games, so that's part of why he's only projected 31.
1: Sano's got a metal rod in his leg from a few years ago. He's probably more more stable than the rest of us now. As a result, <laughs> he's of a it. robot. Yeah, he's part robot. Here's my next one. Reed Detmers will be the Angels' most valuable starting pitcher this season. <laughs> so better than Otani as a pitcher. Obviously, you can't count Otani's hitting war in this better than Cindergard, better than Patrick Sandoval, and people like Jose Suarez a little bit. I don't know how many people are going to argue Suarez over Detmers, but is this Detmers your five? is better than all of them. No, This, is, this is not. This was not designed to be my five, but I think mm. this could be a five.
2: I mean, he had an okay swing strike rate. He had way better strikeout rates in the minors than he showed in the major leagues. He obviously was in over his head in his first uh, you know, go with the league. At the same time, you know, the stuff numbers just weren't that great for him. Let me yeah, see if not. I have any spring. Or uh, the season last year, his stuff plus was 96. That might play if he gets the command up above 100. Uh, it, that doesn't seem like he'll lead. Like, for example, Sandoval uh, was at 97. Uh, Thors are kind of irrelevant. Uh, yeah. And then Otani Otani's like actually has lights out stuff numbers. Oh, yeah. Ohtani's no, this, this is this is an absurd 11. one. But uh, I do want to look at his spring numbers real quick, see if I have any spring numbers on Dentros. I do not. That's too bad. Um, I, yes, that's definitely, that's got to be a four. I mean, Otani is going to be better than him. And then Thor, uh, I did see some spring numbers on Thor, and uh, he had a 117 when I last checked. Nice. Uh, so I think uh, Thor. We th- we are a little worried that it was 93, 95 miles an hour, uh, but a 117 stuff plus was nice to see. So we'll give. I, I'm that's almost like a 4.5, dude, for me. But I know there's a lot of other people
1: that love Detmer, so I'll give it a four. Yeah, you're All doing, right. you're, you're humming right along in this forest territory. All right, here's my shot at the five. Here's the here's the bonus one. I only did three originally, and then this one hit me, and I said, This is I the bonus
2: ball in the, in the three-point competition.
1: This is the bonus <laughs> ball. It's the golden one. I'm draining this. Here's my last bold prediction. Kevin Smith will have a higher war than Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, and Spencer Torkelson.
2: Woo! You know what the hard one is for me, actually, of that group is Bobby Witt. Because I could see Torkelson's not going to play a position that has a high war.
1: You you deconstructed the the layup part of it. Yep. Yes. That's that's the part. (laughs) Torkelson is a freebie to throw in there for effect. He has to hit a lot to have a really high war right away.
2: Right. And then Julio Rodriguez may have that, or he may just like the, the, his, the, the question of his defense is a question, right? So it's like, you know, center field. He may play center field, but maybe not well enough to like accrue the war that you need. Whereas Kevin Smith will probably play a lot of third and a lot of short. Uh, and he, and if he has short stop worthy defense at third, he could be a Matt Chapman type where he has like a lot of war coming from his defense. So that's, that's the part that makes sense to me um, in terms of, you know, projected quality, Uh, Kevin Smith, the bat X, says 20% worse than league average, but Steamer says around league average uh, with basically like a 740 OPS. Uh, So that's what you're doing with the bat. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, I want to see his. I'm definitely giving this a five, by the way, even though I'm dissecting why it makes sense. I'm definitely giving that a five. Julio Rodriguez is projected to be, ooh, this is spicy. The bat X says, eight percent better than league average but steamer says 23 percent better than league average with an 800 plus ops (laughs) so that's going to be i think your toughest uh but bobby Uh, witt also bobby witt's going to be a tough one because he's going to play short and he's going to play third and i'm looking at bobby witt senior
1: yeah isn't that Uh, great that that keeps happening that's like getting (laughs) rick rolled which i actually got rick rolled this morning by rick wolf embarrassing just absolutely disgraceful to get rick rolled in 2022
2: it's going to be hard. With Rodriguez, it's going to be hard because of the bat, and with Witt, it's going to be hard because of the position because Witt's uh, projections, you know, the bat X says 10% worse than league average. Obviously, the bat X uh, regresses rookies harder than most of the other production systems. Steamer says uh, 8% better than league average, with basically 770 OPS. Um, so, you know, Kevin Smith can hang bat-wise, projection-wise with Bobby Witt Jr., Um, scouting wise, nobody's with you. That's why that's definitely a five, a five plus (laughs) the scouting community is rolling their eyes at you, but there are some scouts that do, uh, defend Kevin Smith. People like him, uh, obviously the A scouts, uh, you know, like something about him. Um, (laughs) and I, I think there is something actionable here in terms of, um, fantasy. Uh, I think it's mostly a deep league thing, but. Uh, he's probably, he's going to play. It's a little bit like my Christian Pache pickup. Uh, I picked up Kevin Smith and Otto New for a buck behind Josh Donaldson. Cause so I was like, here's a third baseman who's going to play. It was a points league. So I'm just hoping uh, that that walk rate he showed in AAA comes back. Um, And he's just a guy who can step in that has some upside. You know, there are, You know there are there's like you can sometimes Frankenstein like a a rose colored glasses for somebody and for Kevin Smith you can be like well what if he had last year's walk rate and his like his like lower level strikeout rates and last year's power rates if you put all those things together at the major level he'd be a lot better than his projections so uh, you know he's a bit of a pop up prospect uh, which I think the A's love to get guys that don't have the long scout-approved track record, and just last year we did something and popped up. I think the A's love to acquire guys like that, and a lot of times they just keep on going.
1: They made some big
2: change, and they're a different player now.
1: I feel like I've won somehow by keeping every one of those predictions above a four and going out on top with a five. That is A awesome. five
2: plus. <laughs> i so, so proud of
1: myself right now. Uh, but I will, I will go celebrate on my own because we have to go before we leave. I should say, get a subscription to the athletic for $1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. And I forgot
2: to mention, I am in San Diego. And on Friday night, we are going to watch the Padres in a church with Lost Abbey beers. Lost Abbey makes some of the best sours, they have the hop concept uh, beers on top every $5 pints. Uh, I will be there starting six o'clock for a Padres watch party. So if you're in San Diego, downtown, Lost Abbeys, the church, we're going to watch baseball in a church because that's what baseball is to us. It's religion.
1: That's awesome. Jealous, I can't be there for this one, but looking forward to some live events here now that the season is underway. Hopefully, we'll have a few more of those on the calendar. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening.